During Lent, we partake in two practices, giving up and taking up. We give up things that distract us, that take our time, um, creating space for God to move and to act. And we take up practices that do those things as well, that increase our sensitivity to God and the work that he is doing and the work that is happening around us. One of the things that we have done and offered you this year is we have a candle and a calendar. This is a way for us as a community to do some Lenten practices together. And some of them are fairly simple, like 60 seconds a day, so they're not too hard. You have those back there. Lent is historically the season of 40 days preparing for the death of Jesus. We're anticipating that. Uh, It's often a season that is a little bit more heavy. Uh, It's self-reflective, thinking about the ways that we are sinful, the ways that we are broken, um, leading up to Holy Week, but then culminating in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So one thing that we are doing here on Sundays is we are actually abstaining from communion during Lent. It's another way for us to create some longing, um, longing especially for Easter when that will be the next time that we take communion uh, at our all-parish gathering. So it'll be a celebratory thing and something that we anticipate and prepare for each week now. Um, We are in the Beatitudes throughout this series So we'll do a verse or two each week and focus on um, who Jesus is talking about and this introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, One of his most famous teachings and the Beatitudes are also one of those as well, and it serves as the introduction. So first, two things that the Beatitudes are not, some disclaimers about how we approach the Beatitudes. First is, the Beatitudes is not a list of truths, and this is what I mean by that. They are not simply timeless truths about the way that the world is or about human behavior. If Jesus was saying that, then he would be wrong because mourners often go uncomforted. The meek don't inherit the earth and those who long for justice often don't get it. So that's the first is this is not a list of truths. The second is this is not a list of virtues to achieve. This is what N.T. Wright says about this. The worst mistake we can make about this famous and stunning passage is to see it as a list of rules. You've got to try hard to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, and so on. It isn't. It is a royal announcement that God is turning the world upside down, or rather, the right way up. The temptation is for us to read these as a list of virtues of things we want to become and things we want to try to do. But the Beatitudes actually assumes that someone in your community is already this way. Not that someone is trying to be this way, but that someone is already this way. It's a statement that you belong when you are these things, not when you do these things. The Beatitudes is a radical redefinition of who belongs, and Jesus is declaring this in the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Tonight we tackle, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If you are alive, if you have a pulse, maybe not Charlie, she is alive, but if you are alive and have a pulse, you have experienced mourning, sadness, loss, at some spectrum somewhere in your life. I suspect early on in your life, even as a kid, this is something that happened to you. When I was thinking about this, one of the things that came up to me was middle school basketball. It was, I was in eighth grade and we had a Saturday game and we were playing this other Christian school. So I went to a private Christian school and we were playing this other Christian school. We had a little bit of a rivalry And so this was not a game that you wanted to lose, not that you ever want to lose a game, but this one especially was not a game that you wanted to lose. And it's a close game. Like, I don't remember much about the game. I don't remember the final score. I know we lost by a few points. Uh, But what I remember vividly about this game was 
I took four shots. All of them were three-pointers, and I missed all of them. So in my mind, it was my responsibility that my team lost. Because I thought if I had made even two of those, then that would have been six points, and that could have been the difference of the game. And so the game ended, I remember going down into the locker room, and I was devastated. This may be hard to believe now, but I was a very sensitive child, teenager. I was devastated. I was in tears. There was near sackcloth and ashes. And so game's over. We leave. I go with my family. We go to this restaurant called Ryan's. Have you ever heard of Ryan's? Yes. Okay. So Ryan's is a southern type restaurant, uh, very similar to Golden Corral, so buffet style. So we go in, my parents are with me. I think my sister is there as well. And I am still like just weeping, not just a little tear, like I'm weeping. I'm sitting at the table and just not quietly. And people are all around us. Like my parents are not saying anything. And I just imagine what people were thinking next to me. There is nothing in that moment that my parents could have said that would have comforted me or made me feel better. And while this is a silly and a pretty insignificant example of what it means to mourn and have a loss and be sad, what I learned that day and even before then was that loss and mourning will often go uncomforted. No matter how big it is, no matter how small it is, those will often go uncomforted. For me at that moment, there was nothing my parents could do or could say that would make it better. The only thing that I wanted was to be able to go back and to win that game. For us as Americans in 2020, we have this life that's often characterized by success, by winning, by having a lot of things, by being influential. Jesus is giving us this list of people who are blessed, and it is a list that is very uncharacteristic of that very thing. If we were to create our own list here in 2020, the blessed life or a good life or those who experience some kind of blessing would likely go something like this. Blessed are you when you are successful. Blessed are you when you have a lot of friends and you're influential. Blessed are you when you have a family and a good job, when you're able to work in something that's meaningful and worthwhile. It rarely goes, blessed are you when you have lost your job. Blessed are you when you are mourning the loss of a relationship, the loss of a child. That's not the beatitude or the blessing that we have. And that's not just 2020 America. That invades Christianity as well. As Ruben and I were talking about this week, we were discussing what songs should we sing, what songs convey a sense of mourning or loss or lament. And believe it or not, there are not too many songs that fall into that category. It's a very small percentage of songs. Songs are usually much more about some kind of triumph or overcoming. Here's a a few lyrics that I pulled from different songs as an example. The first is, we will not be moved. When the earth gives way, for the risen one has overcome. For every fear, there is an empty grave, for the risen one has overcome. Overcoming, overcoming fear, the empty grave has overcome any fear we may have. The next, and far be it from me to not believe, even when my eyes can't see, that this mountain in front of me will be thrown into the midst of the sea. That's quite an image. You have a mountain in front of you, but it's about to be cast into the sea because you will be delivered. God is going to overcome and you will overcome as well. 
This is my favorite. Our God, a mighty warrior, you're a consuming fire. In victory you reign. We triumph in your name. Jesus, the great commander, you conquered death forever. In victory you reign. We triumph in your name. Mighty, victory, reign, triumph, great, conquered, victory, triumph. These are entrenched in not just these songs. This is just a snippet of what it's like for Christian worship music. And that's not to say that these things in and of themselves are bad, but these things create the idea that we will always be overcoming, that we will always be triumphant in the ways that we approach our pain, our loss, and our suffering. We are incredibly uncomfortable in sitting in mourning, whether it's our mourning or it's the mourning of someone else. And these ideas of triumphalism and optimism and success and money and privilege have invaded the way that we follow Jesus. And it's especially apparent in the churches that I've been a part of. It's especially apparent in churches that are predominantly white, predominantly suburban. This idea of success and power and overcoming. This is what Rachel Held Evans says about this. She's a theologian and writer who, who tragically passed away last year. She says, The American tendency towards triumphal, triumphalism of optimism rooted in success, money, and privilege will infect and sap of substance any faith community that has lost its capacity for holding space for those in grief. It will infect and sap of substance any faith community that has lost its capacity for holding space for those in grief. We're not very good at holding space for others. We either want to enter into their pain and fix their pain and diagnose it and make it better. We want them to overcome it. We're reluctant to hold space for others or to hold space for ourselves. And what Evans is talking about here, I I believe, is the result of many within our generation. We have left the church in droves because of this. Because we haven't experienced this overcoming or this victory. We have pain and we have suffering and we have loss. And we feel like we haven't come out the other side. We're still in mourning and it's continued to be unacknowledged. Horatio Spafford was a wealthy and successful businessman in in Chicago in the 1860s. And in 1867, there was a great fire in Chicago and he nearly lost all of his business. And around this same time, he had a son that died because of scarlet fever. And so all of these factors coming in on him, he decided that he and his family, they needed some kind of vacation to get away. So he put his wife and four daughters onto a ship that was set for England and and sent them off. And as the ship was going across the Atlantic Ocean, it, it crashed into another ship and nearly 200 people drowned and lost their lives that day. All four of Horatio daughters were among those who died. His wife, Anna, survived. She arrives in England and sent a telegram back to her husband and said, saved alone. So now Horatio gets on a ship going across the Atlantic Ocean into England and he comes to the spot. The captain lets, lets him know when they come to the spot where this ship has sank. And these are the words that he penned that day. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. There's no overcoming, there's no triumph. It's a sober and painful acknowledgement of death and loss. He's deep in mourning and his response is, it is well. 
And if I'm being honest, often that is not my response. That's what I hope to get to, to get to this place where it is well, but I am racked with aches and pains. As I suspect many of you are, and many throughout history, we have this longing to be comforted. There's likely something you are mourning right now. I suspect when Jesus was talking to this crowd, there were people there who were in mourning, who had experienced pain and suffering and loss. But Jesus is coming to them and he's saying, blessed are you when you are mourning for you will be comforted. And this isn't a one-off. This was entrenched in who Jesus was and what his ministry was doing. In Luke 4, before this is happening, Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He goes into Nazareth and he goes into the temple and he opens up a scroll in the temple and it's from Isaiah 62. And this is what the scroll says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in the Luke account, this is when he closes the scroll and he says, this is fulfilled in your hearing and they are amazed. But in the Isaiah passage, it continues to go on and this is what it says. And the day of vengeance of our God. That's a whole separate sermon that I won't get into. But he leaves that out. And then it continues. To comfort all who mourn. Provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise. And a garment of praise. Instead of a spirit of despair. Jesus has inaugurated his ministry going back to this scroll and this passage in Isaiah 62. Saying he is here for those who are poor, for those who are brokenhearted, captives, those prisoners, those who are in mourning, and those who are in despair. That's how he starts his ministry, and every step along the way, he continues in that, and the Beatitudes is just another way that this is happening. Now, at this point, you might have the question of, that is great, but when do I experience this comfort? That's a good question. Thank you for asking it. One thing that we say every week is we say the Lord's Prayer. And within the Lord's Prayer, there's this phrase that is, God's kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe there's an interplay of heaven and earth right now that's happening. Often we hear this already but not yet language of God's kingdom is already here. We're already experiencing some of these comforts, some of these satisfactions, but they're not yet fully realized because Jesus hasn't returned or you haven't made it to heaven. And I think that's an appropriate explanation, but it still leaves some tension and some conflict and some things unresolved. Are we only waiting to get to heaven so that everything is better? Or is it a way for us to make things here on earth as it is in heaven? This is what N.T. Wright says. He says, The life of heaven, the life of the realm where God is already king, is to become the life of the world transforming the present earth into a place of beauty and delight that God always intended. I believe that our role is this, to transform the present earth into a place of beauty and delight that God has already intended. Those who are mourning are comforted because we are there to comfort them. We are the image of God. We are the physical representation of God here upon this earth. So whenever we go to people, we are going as ambassadors. We are going as image bearers of God to people who need to be comforted. Yes, God brings comfort to those 
who are brokenhearted and those who are in mourning. But I firmly believe that it is our responsibility as well. That we are moving towards a promised future in a present way that addresses the harshness, the brokenness, and the sinfulness of our current reality. One component within mourning is lament. For me, lament was absent in the way that we talked about loss and suffering. It was absent in the church. It was absent until a a few years ago when I read a book by a guy named Soong Chan Ra who wrote The Prophetic Lament, and it's a commentary on the book of Lamentations. And this is one of the, the many amazing things that he says about lament. Lament in the Bible is a liturgical response to the reality of suffering and engages God in the context of pain and trouble. A liturgical response in the reality of suffering. One of the beautiful things about lament is lament acknowledges the things that are broken around us. It acknowledges the loss, the death. It's a component of mourning rather than completely sweeping it under the rug and not addressing it whatsoever. It acknowledges the reality of pain and suffering. Now, the beautiful thing about lament is lament is communal in nature. Often we enter into someone else's pain or we voice the pain that someone else has. What's difficult for us to understand because of how individualistic we are is how communal lament and mourning was. One thing that was common in biblical times were these external signs and symbols for an internal indication of something that was wrong. But for us, we don't have those external signs We don't have sackcloth and ashes. We don't shave our heads and shave our beard. Other than tears, there are a few things that give any kind of external indication of some kind of internal despair or loss. Oftentimes it is actually the complete other end of the spectrum. We take our external as a way to disguise the way that we are experiencing loss and pain and suffering. But I believe as Jesus says here, if those who are mourning are to be comforted, then that's a space that we have to enter into with one another. It's a space that you allow others into in your own world, and it's a space that we enter into ourselves. As Rachel Held Evans said, holding space is to sit with someone in grief and to not offer any types of solutions or judgments, but to remain present, to be attentive to their grief and pain to listen. The way that we will continue to talk about the Beatitudes is oftentimes you may not find yourself in these pages. You may not feel like you are poor in spirit. You may not feel like you are mourning right now in this season. You may not feel like you are meek or you are a peacemaker. And if that's your position, my encouragement to you is that you find those who are and that you would listen to them and that you would align yourself with them. For those who are experiencing mourning, they especially need your listening ears. They especially need you to be attentive. For us, one of the things that I often come back to in thinking about pain and loss and suffering and mourning uh, is a foster kiddo that we had about three years ago. In all honesty, I've had a a pretty simple life as evidenced by my middle school basketball (laughs) Uh, internal despair and destruction. Um, And I've shared this story uh, many times and I'm sure we'll continue to share it. But we had this three-year-old living with us and it was a bit of a unique situation. 
And we knew from the onset that there was going to be a possibility of adoption. And eventually it, it came to the place where we felt like we weren't going to be the right family for her. And so uh, she ended up moving on and getting adopted by another family. And this continues to be a place of mourning for us. Even nearly three years later, there's still sensitivity. There's still rawness around this. Just two weeks ago, I was talking to Nathan about it, and, and I couldn't get words out because it's still very sensitive and raw. And I would like to say that as we were going through it, there was just this immense amount of comfort from God, immense amount of comfort from other people. And there were certainly times when that was happening. But oftentimes, our pain, our loss, and our cries, they would seemingly go unmet. For Kate and I, we had each other, and it was a way for us to talk and to process with one another. There's no way that she and I could have walked through that without the other. In order to find comfort, especially comfort in a time of mourning or pain and loss, we need one another. Jesus has very much walked this road himself and we will get to Holy Week where he goes and dies on the cross filled with pain and sorrow and loss. And I believe too at that moment his cries are unmet. So if you are here, if you feel like your cries of pain and loss and suffering are going unmet, know that you are not alone. You're not alone in that there is a Savior who can empathize with you and you are not alone because we all experience loss and mourning in some capacity. We try to hide it. We try to sweep it under the rug and it only leads us to feeling more and more lonely and isolated. So as we continue through Lent, my encouragement is for us to mourn together, to weep together and to rejoice together. As the New Testament continues, it says, mourn with those who mourn. I believe this is a communal practice where we need each other and we need God's comfort as well.